Hey, this is Caleb Clay, Associate Pastor of Anchor Faith Church here in Valdosta, Georgia. We want to thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message. We believe that it will minister to you and be a blessing to your life. Now get ready to receive a word from God. I hope last week was a little eye-opening and uh, maybe a little gut-wrenching at the same time, amen. And um, we're going to kind of dive into that a little deeper. But I did want to look at Romans chapter 12 again. Uh, verses 1 and 2. I want to look at it in the message. I just thought that was so powerful, uh, that interpretation and uh, translation of those verses. And um, so I want to look at that again. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 in the message states this. So here's what I want you to do, God helping you, right? So we recognize that we need God's help. God is not sending us into the world alone. He's for us, not against us. And so Uh, uh, he says, I'm here to help you. The new King James says, by the mercies of God, by the mercies of God. He says, this is what I want you to do. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, your eating, going to work, walking around life. I just love that that statement right there Uh, because it's identifying, as we saw last week, I don't have to do anything different to begin to influence the culture around me. I don't have to make a different uh, level of pay. I don't have to have a certain uh, a level of influence or promotion in my job. I don't uh, have to go to school to be able to influence my culture. I don't have to get a degree. I don't have to come from some certain family or grow up on the certain side of the railroad tracks. I don't have to have uh, worldly status and worldly success. I can be an influence in my culture right now where I'm at. How powerful is that? So what that does also is that adds the responsibility of influencing the culture around us. He's saying your ordinary life, what you think is ordinary, God wants to make extraordinary. What you think is just day to day, what you think is just routine, what you think is just, it's, you know, just taking care of my family, these kids, this husband, this wife, you know, this job, uh, you know, just, you just pray, you know, we're, we're pressing, we're, we're enduring through our days and our nine to fives. But now, uh, you know, as we saw on Sunday, it's not what I see, but it's how I see it. That means tomorrow morning, I can wake up with a different perspective, go to the same job with a different perspective put breakfast on the same table for the same family tomorrow morning with a different perspective. This is amazing. I love it. Anybody can influence culture. Anybody. Now take it a step further. Everybody can influence culture. He says, to take that, you're you're sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around, place it before God as an offering. Place it before God as an offering. You know, uh, you've heard me make this statement, you know, we can't take an offering. Because that's literally what an offering is. Is It's all the responsibility on me and all of the privilege on me to offer up. It's not an offering if it's taken, right? (laughs) It's no longer an offering. It's no longer a sacrifice. It's no longer, uh, you know, the laying down. You know, uh, uh, the, the New King James says to offer up your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to him. Can't be a sacrifice if it's taken from you. 
God uh, created us as free will, moral beings, free will, moral agents for that fact that anything we give to him is because we gave it to him. He did not take it from us. He did not take his son's life and offer, offer that up. He, he, the, the Bible says that Jesus was a lamb slain for the foundation of the world. The Bible says that Jesus laid down his life for the sheep. Willfully. The, 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 the Roman soldiers didn't take it from him. He laid it down. He said, I can call a legion of angel, angels into this garden right now and get all of you out of here but I'm laying down my life willfully. So it's the power of an offering. I wonder what would happen tomorrow if we went to our jobs as an offering tomorrow. I wonder if we treated our husband and our wife as an offering unto the Lord, that how we treat them is how I'm serving him. I wonder if how we talk to our kids could be an offering. I just wonder. He says it should be an, an offering to him. And, and this is what's interesting. That's what God wants. Is what you see, what you see as ordinary, he says, that's what I want. Put me in it and it's not ordinary anymore. I just, I, I don't want anything special from you. I just want your ordinary life. You're sleeping, you're eating, you're walking around, going to work life. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Now, here's where we go. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. How many times do we do that, though? It just becomes normal. So we defined this last week that you know it's the culture when it becomes normal. That's what we said last week. We said that, that culture always begins with tolerance. It's what I tolerate. I maybe didn't want it, but I allowed it. Wasn't my first priority, wasn't what I wanted to have in my life, but I tolerated, I, I let it go. But what is tolerated eventually becomes accepted. And we're seeing this in our country. It's running rampant today. So we tolerate it, we begin to accept it, and then once you accept something, eventually it just becomes normal. It's just the way of life, right? That, that's how you can define culture as a way of life. And you can go all over this world and you can see the different cultural ways of life that people had. You know, the, our America is known as the melting pot. So we really get to see a lot of them brought here. You know, we've got Chinatown. You go to New York City. I was in New York City and, and rode through Chinatown and you might as well be in China. You can't read anything. You can't understand what anybody's saying. I mean, and there's only one type of food. You know, it's Chinese everywhere. Chinese next to Chinese. You know, it's all, it's Chinatown. And then, um, you know, my wife's uncle lives in Brooklyn and he took us to a restaurant in Little Italy. And it was Italy. It was spiced up, freshed up. Couldn't understand any. I mean, I literally had to have an interpreter for the menu. Just, what's good? What did you get? What do you get? Because it's, it's the culture. They bring the culture there. And so you get to see different people's way of lives and what they eat and how they talk and how they drive, how they live, what they wear. All of that is evidence of what the culture is. And you know when you get around people that have different cultures. 
you know. And my mom, my mom is Spanish. She probably would have never thought that, but my mom is Spanish. She's Mexican. Her family's from Mexican. She's from San Antonio, Texas. She's not from Mexico herself. Her family was. And so every now and then, little cultural things, if I was in trouble, I knew I was in trouble because it wasn't in English. It was in Spanish. (laughs) And there's usually a shoe in hand. (laughs) I'm not kidding. And so, you know, the culture comes out. Sometimes you can get people's culture back out. You sure can. You know, you you see culture come out because it's what they resort to. When I don't know any other way to do it, I resort back to what I was. And so, uh, he says, don't become so well adjusted to culture that you fit into it. This is the thing, without even thinking. Culture doesn't take a lot of work. Doesn't talk, t- doesn't take a lot of effort because it's what you do. We use the example, you know, last week when, when you go out on St. Augustine Road, you, you're going to get into the right-hand lane. Whether you're going north or south, east or west, you're going to get into the right-hand lane and you're not even going to think about it. Nobody's going to get out to the intersection and say, okay, uh, I'm going to go out and make sure. I, you, you know I, we drive on the right-hand side of the road. That's our culture. It's normal. I don't even have to think about it. I don't have to put effort forth. And so that's when you know you've become well-adjusted. That's when you know you've, you've bought into a culture is, is it just happens without even thinking. And organizations have cultures. Your house has a culture. The things that you do in your house are things that take place in your house. You don't even have to think about it. It doesn't even take effort. That's what happens. Instead, fix your attention on God. And he says, you'll be changed from the inside out. So if I wanna change the culture around me, I first have to change the culture within me. This is where he points. I can't go into my workplace where they're all a bunch of sinners and just start pointing out all the mess that they have wrong with them. I've gotta say, God, how are you working in you, in, in, inside of me so that I can be an influence in that culture? Because some of us have great intentions, but we're not very good at our follow-through. We know that they're living in sin, and we, we recognize where they're failing, but, but we don't have, you know, we, we might be lacking some tact. Have you ever seen somebody that they're witnessing but with no tact? You ain't winning nobody. That ain't happening. And, and, and it might be patience that we need. God needs to develop some patience in me so that I can be a greater witness and a greater influence in that culture. I don't know. He's got to work on the inside of us. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity. I like that word. God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. And so some things that we recognize, number one, culture is what's normal. You know what the culture is because it takes little effort. That is what's normal to you. And so we recognize um, that, you know, culture defines behavior. Culture defines behavior. You could put it this way. When you know the culture of something, you're not surprised by how it behaves. When you know the culture, you're not surprised by how it behaves, you, you, you aren't ever uh, uh, disappointed with its result because you recognize that's their culture, that's, that's how they behave, that's what you expect. Behavior defines, expe- or defines behave- 
Culture defines behavior. Behavior determines expectations. When I start seeing patterns and I start seeing responses and, 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 and all those things, that, that's where I'm recognizing how the culture is influencing that. We're also recognizing here in Romans chapter 12 that he's telling us that if we don't become transformed, we will conform to what's around us. If we don't become transformed within, we'll conform to what's around us. And this is why the transformation and, and the, the work on the inside is so important because if not, if, if we don't give attention to the work on the inside that God's doing, we will conform to what's around us. And, and this, is, this is dangerous because we closed out with 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. We can put that up there. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17 states this. In the new living, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. The old life is gone. But we know that's not in, on the outside, right? We come down to the altar and we say the prayer. We make Jesus the Lord of our life. And on the inside, immediately my spirit is changed. My spirit is made alive, the Bible says. And so the old life, the old spirit is gone. But now the, the, the new life on the inside has to become the new life on the outside. What happens on the inside has got to produce and show up in results on the outside. We used to sing a song back in the church, he's working on the inside. I don't know the rest of it, okay. <laughs> Come on, help me out, Pentecostals, where are you out? Oh, what a change in my life. He's working on the inside. Dun, 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 dun. All right. Couldn't, couldn't help you. So, so we saw this. We have a, and, and you can put it this way. Your spirit man at salvation, your spirit man is saved instantly. You cannot, listen, you cannot become more saved than you are when you make Jesus the Lord of your life. Work as hard as you want. You can't impress him anymore. You're in. The spirit man is saved. The soul, your mind, your will, and your emotions is being saved. Always in a process of getting my mind, my will, and my emotions to align with my new man on the inside. And your flesh, and I'm talking about your body, your physical body, I'm talking about your carnal nature, the sin nature that we're all born into this world with, can never be saved. So the spirit man is saved. The soul is becoming saved, being saved. And the flesh can never be saved. There's no salvaging it. Bible says that the war and that the, 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 the flesh and the spirit are always at war, always at contention with one another. You don't get your flesh to align, you kill it. You kill it. Paul said, I die. How often? Daily. Woke up in the morning and said, I die. He said, I crucify the flesh. And that's a, that's a very bold term uh, to be using around people that were living in a Roman culture and that understand what crucifixion really was. That wasn't any fun. 
And he said, I'm crucifying the flesh. I die daily. I put down its desires. I put down its lusts. I put down its behaviors. I put down its attitudes. I die daily to the flesh. Why? So I can allow my spirit man to come alive. And what you feed becomes stronger. So if I feed my flesh, it's not going to die. It's actually going to get stronger, and it's going to begin to dictating my life. But if I kill the flesh and I begin to feed my spirit, then my spirit will begin to dictate. My spirit, man, that new nature. And so we said this, that a new nature demands a new culture. A new nature demands a new culture. And so this is where we mess up. We come in, great intentions make Jesus the Lord of our life, but then we don't surround our new nature with a new culture and we end up back in behaviors and attitudes and lusts and, and desires and temptations and, and all the things that, lived, that, that, that your flesh lived off of before. Let me give you some other verses that point to this transition that happens when we are born again. Colossians chapter one, verse 12. Colossians chapter one. And verse 12 says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified, has, past tense, done, who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered, past tense, done. Let me tell you something right now. God is not working anymore on your salvation. There's nothing else he can do. Jesus, the Bible tells us, is seated, seated, sitting at the right hand of the Father. He's sitting down. He ain't doing nothing. He says that he uses his enemy as a footstool. I mean, that's, he's propped up. He's relaxing. He's chillaxing in the past redemptive work of the cross. You can't become more... Saved. And, and this is the thing. We, we've, we've heard these statements before. I'm, I'm a sinner saved by grace. Well, you either identify with one or the other. We, we, we cannot any longer identify with a past sinful nature. Now, I'm not saying you're perfect and you're going to get everything right, but I'm telling you that you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Past tense, you've been brought into the kingdom, brought into a new nature. That sin uh, desire does not have to control you any longer. Romans tells us that sin uh, does not have to rule us, that we can actually rule it. And so that grace thing that we hear a lot about, the grace of God, it is not something that covers sin. It actually empowers you to live above sin. Okay, and we, that's on grace, and we'll get further, uh, you know, into that another time. But 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 just know it's 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 a it's a done deal in heaven. He's not trying to get you saved anymore. He's not doing anything else to get to, to get you more born again. You're there. He sees you. when he sees you. He sees Jesus. Okay, when he sees you, he sees Jesus. And so now our job is to introduce. Our, our new self to ourself. That's my job now. Let me learn about, let me learn about who I am in Christ because I'm not in the world anymore. Look what he says. Uh, he, he says, um, he has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us. That word means transferred. 
it, it actually uh, has the connotation of when an army would go into a, a territory or a country and take slaves out and take them to the new territory. That's literally what it's saying. We have been brought out, redeemed. We've been transferred out of darkness. He says, conveyed into the kingdom of, his, of the son of his love in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. First Peter chapter two. First Peter chapter two in verse nine. You've seen this before. But you are, say I am. You are a chosen generation a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not attained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. These verses speak of to what we used to be, but to who we are now. New nature needs new culture. And so the nature part is God's job. The culture part is my job. The nature part is God's job. I cannot, make, I cannot give myself a new nature. By faith, by grace through faith, have we all been saved. Nothing I can do, but I can work to establish a different culture. And he says that if I don't transform my life, I will conform my life to an old culture. So this is what you have to recognize is when you've been brought out of darkness and into light, you can conform back to an old way of living. And now there's a training that needs to take place. Now there's a renewal process. And so we said this last week that when you want to shake up culture, you can't do it gradually. You have to do it intentionally. You have to disrupt it. You have to go in and, and tear away behaviors and tear away attitudes and tear away patterns and tear away desires. You, when Jesus came to this earth, he came to change the culture and he did it by disrupting it. And, and, and he would preach and, and we don't get the weight and the emphasis of a lot of what is in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I mean, even the Sermon on the Mount, uh, we don't really get the full weight of that because we don't understand the cultural context of when he was preaching those things. But when he was saying a lot of that stuff, uh, you should have seen some people's faces. They were getting messed up. And it even got to one point in, in the book of John, I think it's chapter eight, where he starts saying some really crazy stuff. He's shaking up culture. He's disrupting ways of thinking. He's disrupting uh, broken ideologies. And this is the thing about culture is we will run to it even if it's harmful because it's comfortable and predictable. At least I know what's coming. We don't like cultural change. We don't like, we don't like, uh, you know, coming in and, 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 and when you talk about culture, you, you think of things like traditions. Matthew chapter 15, verse three, Jesus confronted traditions and he said, why do you hold so tightly to the traditions of men and, and reject the commandment of God? In the process of holding tightly to your tradition, you're actually rejecting God's commandment is what he's saying. Traditions are dangerous. Now, there are some good traditions. 
And there's some good things, uh, you know, in, in, in the principle of it. You know, we've got to be disciplined and we've got to be faithful and we've got to be consistent, but it's, it's, we've got to be careful what we're disciplined to. And so when we want to change this culture, and this is the, the part that, that we're missing in the church today, uh, because we know that we, you know, we, we can at least agree on the fact that people need to receive Jesus and, and make him Lord. I mean, none of those statistics that I read you on Sunday, uh, you know, all that mess that I read you about, you know, where people's theology and doctrine is going, that was the one that had still the greatest, highest percentage of people recognize that you the only way into Christianity, the only way into the kingdom of God is through Jesus. We've got that one down. We've got that covered. But then after that, <laughs> after that, uh, you know, it, it, it's okay to, you know, take on certain lifestyles and, and indulge your, your flesh a little bit. And, and, and then, you know, things like, you know, it's only great sins that can send you to hell. So we, we, we can get to the door, but we can't get past the door. And Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He's the doorway, but then after that, everyone's going off into random directions because we're not establishing the culture of the kingdom. And I'll be honest with you, our, our Americanized thinking really hinders us in this area because of the fact that I named earlier the whole melting pot concept. In the kingdom, in heaven, there's no melting pot. If you belong to Jesus, you belong to nothing else. If you belong to Jesus, you belong to nothing else. And so this is the thing uh, about the culture of the kingdom is if you accept the culture of the kingdom, you have to let go of all your other cultures. It's the only way it works. It's the only way it works. God, God doesn't say, well, you can bring in this concept or this idea. No, it all changes. It all bows at the feet of Jesus. It all, and you want it to. This is the thing. You want it to. You want to go Jesus's way. You want Jesus to establish a, a, a culture in your life. You want God to, to, to correct and change all the mess. And, and, and so, you know, we, some, many times we come into the kingdom on our terms. And we completely disregard God's terms of how the kingdom operates. And so there are kingdom principles and there's a kingdom culture and then we don't abide by those, but then we don't wonder why the kingdom blessings don't come our way. Well, you've got to abide by the kingdom culture to receive the kingdom blessing. You've got to put the kingdom principle in place for the principle to, pro to produce the results in your life. Look at Ephesians chapter four. I want to look at a couple passages here tonight that speak to, oh, first I need to take you to John chapter 17. Let me take you to John 17 first. And then we'll get to a couple other passages. So we recognize we have a new nature. We recognize that when we make Jesus the Lord of our lives, on the inside, our spirit man is made new instantly. My, my soul realm is becoming saved, being renewed. That's why he says, be transformed by how? The renewing of your mind. It's in your mind where you fight the battle between flesh and spirit. The mind is the battlefield. The mind is where you win and lose. You lose in life as a product of losing in your mind first. 
You've got to conquer the, the, the war within. You've got to conquer the battle in your mind. We, that's where we get defeated. Okay? And so we have this new nature. We still have this fleshly culture. We have a spirit nature and a fleshly culture warring, and one is going to give way to the other. And the goal is that my new spirit nature overcomes my fleshly culture, and I begin to live by a kingdom culture. That's the goal. But look at John chapter 17. Just want to keep this in mind now. Keep this in front of you. We're going to look at verse uh, 15. Verse 15. This to be interesting. I want to make note first that this is Jesus praying. I want to make note that Jesus, this is one of Jesus' last prayers. And how many of you know that, you know, right before you know you're going to die or right before uh, there's an end to something, that's where you get real valuable, vital stuff, right? You're not shooting the breeze here. He's not just praying some random prayer. This is the stuff that really matters now because he's about to be handed over to the Roman soldiers. Uh, In verse 15, Jesus says, I do not pray. How many of you know that God answers Jesus' prayers? I do not pray that you should take them out of the world. A lot of Christians wishing you didn't pray that right now. And that's in your Bible, guys. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world. We thought this whole thing was about making Jesus, you know, you know confessing Jesus, wel- you know, welcoming Jesus into our heart so that one day when I die, I can go to heaven. It's all an exit plan. It's all about getting out. And Jesus is saying, no, no, no. I I don't need you born again, saved, transformed, redeemed, and renewed to get out. I need you transformed so you can get something in. So now the goal changes from getting somewhere or going somewhere. It changes to getting somewhere to somewhere. That's why he prayed in Matthew chapter 6, Heavenly Father, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come. Your will in heaven be done on earth as it is in heaven. On earth. So our whole purpose for being in the earth, guys, is to change the earth. Is to bring the kingdom of God to the earth. That is your whole reason for existence. Heaven is great. I thank God for it. And, and really, if you want to really study it out and, and really look at it, heaven's not a place you go. Heaven is a place that comes. It says that the new Jerusalem is coming out of the sky and there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And you and I are going to be made to rule over that earth once again. But I'm not going to get into eschatology right now. I'm going to stay focused <laughs> Don't try to get me off track. I know y'all are trying to drag me into it. We're going to stay off of that for right now. Just know, just know that you have a destiny in this earth. You have a purpose. And Romans chapter 12 is not an option, it's actually an obligation. We are here to influence the earthly, worldly, carnal culture with the kingdom of God but I cannot influence people around me with something that I have not bought into myself. I cannot change what's around me until I have changed what is within me, okay? And so we've 
got to recognize Jesus said, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, which means we're here. I do not pray that you remove them from the earth because that's the whole reason why you put them in the earth to begin with. But this is what I pray, that you should keep them from the evil one. He says, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Now, we need to know that statement. And a lot of times we've used that statement like kingdom is my, you know, uh, heaven is my home and one day I'm going to heaven and I'm not of this world. But this is why that is so important because I cannot change what is around me if I become what's around me. Are you hearing me? So therefore, I have to be of something else to transform what's around me to become something else. I can't be of the world and then bring heaven to earth. I've got to be of heaven to bring heaven to earth. I, I cannot change the culture that I have become. So I must change on the inside. Now I'm no longer of this world. Therefore, I can change this world. All of us with our normal, everyday ordinary, going to work, sleeping, eating, walking around lives. It's all coming together now. Now, here's a few things that we have to identify. Ephesians chapter four. See, I'm not a royal priesthood for me. I'm not a chosen generation for me. I'm not set apart for me. Everything God does to me and for me, he wants to do through me. And this is what we have to buy into is in an everyday life, see what God can do through you. We got too many believers saying, see what God can do for me. See what God can give to me. But he wants to get it through you. And so now, he has sent you into arenas of life to change it and transform it. Think about this. Every day, you get paid to be kingdom influence. They're not paying you for an assignment, for a task or a role. They're paying. You get paid by the world to influence them for the kingdom of God. Now, all of a sudden, you can't pay me enough. You can't pay me what I'm worth. Because I'm here on a far greater. That, so now I don't get offended at people at work. And now my boss doesn't irritate me so much because his, ir his irritating stuff is why I'm there. It changes perspective. God has set up a system where you actually get paid by the world, you know, to, to influence the kingdom of God. And so when that time is up or if that thing runs dry, God's got another sphere of influence for you to go into and he'll make sure you're taken care of because the job wasn't the source anyways, God was. God was the source the whole time. That's just who he was using. So Ephesians chapter four. New Living Translation says this, with the Lord's authority, I say this, live no longer as the Gentiles do. And at that time, the Gentiles was a reference to the world, to worldly living. Righteousness versus unrighteousness. Live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. 
They wander from the life God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. But that isn't what you learned about Christ. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, that's culture, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the spirit renew your thoughts in attitudes. He's talking about standing out, being set apart. He's talking about a different culture for kingdom people. This is what he's talking to. Look at it in the message translation. And so I insist, and God backs me up on this, that there be no going along with the crowd, the empty-headed, mindless crowd. They've refused for so long to deal with God that they've lost touch, not only with God, but with reality itself. They can't think straight anymore, feeling no pain, they let themselves go into sexual obsession, addicted to every sort of perversion. But that's no life for you. You learned Christ. It tells me that the culture does not get in me on accident. The culture doesn't, I don't become the culture of the kingdom. You know, on culture happens on purpose. Culture, if you want to become the culture of the kingdom and allow the culture of the kingdom to take over, it has to begin with intentionality. We said this last week that the culture is either what you said it or what you let it. It's either what you put in place intentionally or you conform to what's around you. You know, culture only digresses. That's its, own, that's its only tendency is to digress, fall short, fall, become less, not, be, not more. That's the culture of the world. So if I want to become the culture of the kingdom, he says, you learned Christ. That's intentionality, right? My assumption is that you have paid careful attention to him, been well instructed in the truth precisely as we have it in Jesus. Since then, we do not have the excuse of ignorance. Everything, and I do mean everything, connected with the old way of life has to go. It's rotten through and through. Get rid of it and then take on an entirely new way of life, a God-fashioned life, a life renewed from the inside and working itself into your conduct as God act accurately reproduces his character in you. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Look at this first in the the New King James. This half in, half out stuff has to be eliminated if you're going to live culture. You know, if you are, uh, if you have an organization, say you have a business, uh, uh, what you tolerate becomes accepted. What becomes accepted becomes normal. And so you cannot halfway do things. You've got to go all the way. If you want to address, let's say, uh, uh, tardiness and lateness uh, in the workplace, there's just uh, there's a lateness with turning things in, a lateness with people arriving. You want to change that, turn that. You cannot casually do it. You can't be halfway in, halfway out, only do a couple people. I remember... Uh, uh, 
the owner of the Chick-fil-A down in St. Augustine, Florida. They only have one Chick-fil-A for whatever reason. And uh, this guy, his name is Wayne Efford, uh, owns the Chick-fil-A there, has a phenomenal story how he franchised that thing and took o- or, you know, opened up that store and the job that he left to do it and just an incredible story. But he has the, the, the Chick-fil-A location in St. Augustine, Florida. It's one of the top locations in the nation. He had met Truett Cathy just multiple times. They know him by name. I mean, he's just easily recognized. And they actually used his store as a template in the way that he would train people for a lot of the other stores. And so he came in and he did a thing with our leadership on hospitality and, and just, you know, workplace environment and, and a culture of greeting people, a culture of welcoming people. He treated his Chick-fil-A not like a fast food chain, but like an actual restaurant. And, and just things that he adapted. And, and one thing he said was, uh, you have to be careful uh, with a culture of digression. The, the automatic tendency is to digress, meaning you fall away. And you fall away from things over time. So you're on course, and then over time, you start to veer off. And the quicker it's addressed, the easier it is to get back. The longer it takes to address, the further off. If you're flying a plane and you get off course just by a little bit, you can correct in the beginning, but the further off you get, the further you have to go to get back. And so he said that they had, you know, they had this small little parking lot there at the store and um, there's a Home Depot right behind the Chick-fil-A and they were encouraging, he had met with the, the owners of Home Depot, the manager of Home Depot and said, hey, we need more parking space. Can I my employees park in the back of your lot? And so they said yes. And so uh, he instructed his employees, we're parking at the back of Home Depot. We are not using up spaces uh, in our own uh, store. There's too many people coming. We need to save those for our own guests. And so uh, he puts this in place. And he said, you know, uh, went on great, you know, for a couple months. But then one day an employee parked too close and parked into the store's parking, the, the uh, Chick-fil-A parking lot. And he's, ah, you know, it's first time, let it go. You know, it's all right. And he let that go on, and that employee kept doing that. And he didn't address it. He said, it's just one employee. Well, before long, other employees are taking the liberty. And before long, we've got like four or five employees taking up spaces in our tiny little Chick-fil-A parking lot. And so he had to, that, that's, that's culture, okay? So he, he tried to halfway do it, doesn't work. You've got to go all in with culture. And so Ephesians chapter 4 tells us, get rid of it. Disconnect from anything that's keeping you connected to an old culture. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11. O Corinthians, we have spoken openly to you. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted by your own affections. Now, in return for the same, I speak as to children, you also be open. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? What communion has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them. I will walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. He's talking about a separation. We're not talking about a physical geographical 
separation. Let's get that clear. There are people that have taken this verse, stretched it to the nth degree, and they have, you know, set up their little communities. They've, they've set up their little, uh, you know, their little gardens and their little packs where they're separate and they can worship God together and we have no contact and no connection. You can't influence a culture that you're not in. Okay? So we're not of the world, but I'm in the world. I'm in it. I'm in the world. You know, I can be separated and be in close proximity and still maintain separation. Now, this is the thing about culture. Again, it happens without thinking. So you go into a workplace, you go into an environment, you know, they tell dirty jokes and they talk about women that come in and, and they're cussing. And, and at first it's abrasive and it's like, oh, this is weird. I don't like it. But, but if you don't transform, you will conform. And over time, it becomes normal and you begin to laugh along with the jokes and you begin to make comments along with them and, and, and you begin cutting down other people like they cut down other people and you you begin using their verbiage, and all of a sudden, the culture, uh, you have adapted to the culture. You didn't change the culture. The culture changed you. It's it's, it is possible to maintain proximity and still maintain separation. Look at this in the message. Dear, uh, let, let's go halfway down. Uh, don't become partners with those who reject God. You know what it means to be a partner, right? It means I practice along with you. It means I engage in what you engage in. It means I talk like you and I, and I walk like you. Now, that, you know, it's, it's very, you, everyone has to know the standard of separation they can maintain. I would not take a brand new uh, believer and put him right back. He needs to be inundated. Whatever culture you need to become a part, more a part of, you, that, that's who you've got to get around. When you get a new believer, they've got to be surrounded by strong believers. They've got to be strong, surrounded by disciples. Don't, don't just throw them right back into the world and then have them win all those. That's not how it works. You have to become transformed on the inside first, which means that it will translate into my actions that even if I'm around it, I don't become it. So he says, don't be partners with those who reject God. How can you make a partnership out of right and wrong? That's not partnership, that's war. Is light best friends with dark? Does Christ go strolling with the devil? Do trust and mistrust hold hands? Who would think of setting up pagan idols in God's holy temple? But that is exactly what we are, each of us a temple in whom God lives. God himself put it this way, I'll live in them, move into them, I'll be their God, and they'll be my people. So leave the corruption and compromise, leave it for good, says God. Don't link up with those who will pollute you. I want you all for myself. I'll be a father to you. you be, you'll be a son and daughter to me, the word of the master, God. You may have seen this example, but, you know, if, if I'm standing on a chair and, uh, you know, let's say Chris is on the floor and I'm trying to help him come up to my level, tendency is he's going to pull me down to his more than I'm going to bring him up to mine. 
So you've got to recognize what scenarios you're going into. Are you becoming like them or are they becoming like you? And there should be evidence. Don't continue to disciple, hang around people that are not producing fruit. Even the master comes around and says, it's been three years, there's nothing on this tree, we've got to get it up. Don't cast your pearl before swine. You got to know the level, you got to be able to discern the level of receptivity. Got to be able to determine that. What setting is, is safe? And are they becoming more like you or are you becoming more like them? You've constantly got to identify that. This means to be separate, not in geographic location, not in proximity, separate in my heart because I could be in the midst of sin. The righteousness will stand all by itself and they will know you're not one of them. So you'll be identified by what culture you adapt to. The apostles, the disciples in, in the book of Acts, they were recognized as having been with Jesus. Why? Because they talked like him, acted like him, responded like him, did all the stuff that he did. And they said, oh, it's one of those Jesus followers. It's a Christian. Christian. They didn't call themselves Christians. That was a term given them, to them by outsiders because they followed Christ. And so there's, there's this separation. You know, to change culture, you must determine what you will add and what you will eliminate. To change culture, you've got to recognize what am I adding, but also what am I cutting off? What am I eliminating? See, you can't come into culture and keep yours, come into kingdom culture and keep yours. I'm going to add God's and I'm going to eliminate mine. I can't praise Jesus in here with my mouth and then praise the devil out there. I, I haven't bought in. Many times we want to add without eliminating. Many times we want to, we want everything that God has for us while keeping everything that the world had for us and it doesn't work that way. One, you cannot serve two masters. He says, you'll give yourself to one, you'll serve one, and you'll deny the other. It will happen. And whichever culture you feed is the one that becomes stronger. Amen? So we've got to recognize this value uh, uh, that we are here to influence culture. I mean, tomorrow you get to wake up with a whole different purpose. You get to go about the ordinary same thing you are always doing, but with a different perspective now. I'm influencing what's around me. They're not influencing me. I'm influencing them. And you recognize that there's a responsibility on my life. There's a weight to my actions and a weight to my decisions and a weight to my responses and how I respond to people. And, and people are watching me. I'm, I'm, I'm on, I'm a, I'm not just a blip on the radar anymore. I'm there with weight and people are seeing this. What kingdom will I produce? What culture will I produce? Thank you guys so much for checking out this week's message. If there is any message that you have missed or you just want to hear again, they're all available for free on iTunes. Just search Anchor Faith Church Valdosta and be sure to subscribe. That way you'll be notified once the new messages are available. Also, if you'd like to learn more about our church and what we have available for you and your family, or if you'd like to donate financially to the ministry, be sure to visit our website at anchorfaithvaldosta.com. 
Thanks again for listening and we'll see you next week.